Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Charlie Bird. And I'm Ben Shalati. Each episode, we discuss a question we're commonly asked as LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. We're not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, how come all the allies are middle-aged moms? <laughs> so Charlie and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, this week, this week we both had unexpected lunches. Yeah. The difference was that mine was with my brother, and Ben's was with... <gasps> A date. A oh guy. I went on my first date. How'd it go? Uh, I don't want to talk about the content of the date because I did not ask the guy for con- his consent. And well, I don't we want just lost all the listeners. <laughs> well, I don't want someone to like find out about how I feel about something like publicly. How did but you feel before the date? Like, that's the thing I want to talk about. Um, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I've had lunches with many people, and I was like, oh my gosh. And it was a setup, so I didn't know this guy. And I was like, I don't know what it'll be like, but I'm like, I'm really good at talking to people, so I like, wasn't nervous about that. But this was the thing that surprised me. So the date was set up, and he lives uh, like an hour away, which is not that far, but I was like, find him. <laughs> so, so I was like, <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, he lives too far away. We could never get married. That I was like, what if he likes me and I don't like him and I hurt his feelings? Or uh, maybe I have to move up to Salt Lake now. Like all these like crazy thoughts were going through my head. And I was like, I, I was like, Ben, you know, this is ridiculous. Of course. I was like, yes, Ben, I know this is ridiculous. But those were the actual thoughts I had. That's like a crash course in anxiety and like yeah. using mindfulness. Yeah. I'm like, like living in the present. I, I feel like I'm, I'm mature enough and smart enough to not have these thoughts, but they still came. Yeah. And, but I talked myself through them. Did you do anything awkward on the date? I don't, I hope not. I don't think so. I feel like I was charming and fun. I'm going to figure out who it is and ask. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm proud of you. That's cool. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I was surprised at the amount of anxiety I felt, but it was fine. Yeah. I didn't yeah. feel anxious at all to meet my brother for lunch today. No. <laughs> no anxiety. How, how did your lunch go? It was great. It's good to see him. How's Sam doing now that he's married? He's happy. Oh, yeah. Good for him. He just got back from Mexico so far. All right. Okay. <laughs> <You're> just... <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, well, we would like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives. So today we're joined by Cynthia Winward. Hello. So, Cynthia, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, well, I think I qualify as being the middle-aged Are you a middle-aged mom? mom? Who knew? Yeah, who knew? I know, I hide it so well. I look 22. Uh, I live here in Provo. I've lived here, like, my whole adult life now. Uh, California girl, but came to BYU, never left. So, uh, this is a good place to live, good place to raise a family, which is what my husband and I have done. We have three kiddos. They're all adults. We're brand new empty nesters. I'm telling you, it's all it's cracked up to be. Oh, it's good. Yes. After being in charge of humans, like my entire adulthood, I'm like, oh, yes, this is so good. So that's kind of just what brought me here uh, to Provo, being a BYU student and stuck around, raised the family. And uh, I'm the host, uh, co-host of the At Last She Said It podcast. Uh, it's pretty much a podcast where two women talk about how much we love the church and also how difficult it is if you're someone concerned about like equality for women. Mm-hmm. So that's that's me. Yeah. How did you end up starting the podcast at last you said it? Uh, we met in like an online support Facebook group where we were like moderators. And so we were doing like lots of talking behind the scenes, always like uh, as we vetted people, we wanted to make sure people coming into the group were actually in some type of like faith transition or faith crisis, as opposed to like your bishop who's like, I want to understand my ward family members. And we're like, no, 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 no. So it was just interesting, like the things that Susan and I would talk about behind the scenes with some of the other moderators. 
And we were like, no one's talking about such and such. And we're like, well, somebody should. Why not us? And was that scary to start like vocally and publicly talking about things that Absolutely. maybe other people view as taboo? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think we were really careful about not using certain words in the beginning. And then as time went on and we just got a little braver and people were responding, then we were like, okay, I think we can say a little bit more. And does that sound familiar to you too? No. No? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Um, how did you like grow that bravery? Uh, I think seeing how many women wrote us and would say a couple of things. One, I'm not crazy because they thought they were the only ones feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, I th- I thought I was the only one. So I guess that kind of goes along with yeah. I'm not crazy. And so that just kind of in- gave us the encouragement to just maybe like, there are thousands of women who feel this way. So let's go ahead and just be our true selves and just start saying a little bit more and it's never backfired. Like, I mean, of course we get haters just like I'm sure you two get as well, but mostly it's just people who are just so grateful that we're saying the things at last that maybe certain women have thought about their whole life, or maybe they also went through some type of faith transition where they're feeling things differently. Can I ask more questions about this? You can, if that's where we want to go. <laughs> I, yes. I, I'm interested in, um, so how has this, grown or altered your faith? Um, my faith in God and Jesus Christ has only gotten stronger because I feel like as church, the organization of the church got harder for me. It forced me into the scriptures for myself to say, okay, I've been told my whole life, this is what this scripture means, but does it? And so, like, then I would start reading them on my own, reading, like, biblical scholars or uh, other people who are, like, professionally trained in uh, biblical scholarship, that kind of a thing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there are all these perspectives out there. Like, I have my favorite Catholic priest, Richard Rohr. I have my favorite Lutheran pastor, like, Nadia Bowles-Weber. Like, all these amazing Christian thinkers out there that were just a balm to my soul. And, and I wished... I wish now I had found them earlier, but I wasn't in a space where I needed that earlier in my mm-hmm. life. And so I'm glad that that worked out. So does that answer your question? Yeah. W- was it scary to be honest with yourself about how you felt about certain aspects of your place in the church? Uh, I wouldn't say it was scary. It was... Um, I, I really felt like this is kind of where God had led me. Like, I know a lot of people sometimes are really afraid, uh, like, oh, is this an approved source? Like, can I read a book by a Catholic priest? Like, can I, like, that's something we actually hear a lot from people. Like, they're like, I was nervous to listen to you, but then our, my co-host, her last name is Hinkley. And so they were like, well, they must be safe people. <laughs> and so that's that wasn't something I experienced where I was afraid to, like, read, quote unquote, outside material. Um, But I understand for a lot of people, like, that's a real concern. Um, But for me, it just kind of naturally felt like this was where God was leading me and where my interests kind of took me. So it it felt safe. It didn't feel scary. Has there been more tension in your faith or your religious practice? There has only because I feel like, and maybe this sounds familiar to you, you kind of carry the weight of a lot of people. Like mm-hmm. once you start speaking publicly, you get the letters, you get the DMS, you get, um, people like crying to you 
you know, in, in public, if you have face to face, (laughs) like, like it's really heavy. And so there are certain things that maybe weren't an issue for me before that now I see through like the eyes of a woman who is divorced and in the church. Do you know what I mean? That's not my experience, but now I feel like I'm carrying Mm -hmm. extra weight because I'm so concerned about their experience within the church too. So yes, Charlie, hundred percent, it's gotten, it's gotten harder in in the church yeah that resonates with me as well i don't know if i've ever articulated it like that but like i do feel like i carry the weight of so many people's stories and their Mm -hmm. experiences yeah does having these conversations with various women um impact the way you worship like on like any given sunday like how you feel about interacting with church or general conference or church leaders uh i would that has changed but it's more like me just needing to set boundaries with the organization. Like if, if uh, I'll give you one example, like the word preside is really hard for me. And I went through something like really hard about 10 years ago where I would just start noticing that word every, every time, you know, I would be in the temple or I would uh, hear it in conference or something. And so I just kind of like had this conversation with God about it. And I was like, it's okay for me to walk out. Not everything is for me. And so like, that's kind of this trigger word for me. If I hear preside, I just like, now's the time to go get a drink out in the hallway at church or something like that. So I think setting boundaries has enabled me to continue to participate in an organization that I do love. And at the same time, I think it's not always healthiest for me to hear every single thing. Mm-hmm. Well, those were some of the questions I had. Awesome. <laughs> um, might think of more. I think there's a lot of parallels. With the last one specifically, I, you mentioned being able to see through like a divorcee's eyes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the more people I talk to and learn about their individual experiences, um, may, maybe it was a leading question. I just want to see where you went with it. I mm-hmm. like what you said. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth there. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I think sometimes um, as I'm involved and like maintain activity in church i view things from like my perspective and others as well and it's like a more empathetic it's like a personal relationship with like worship and also i'm a lot more mindful of how other people might be feeling or interpreting things does that make sense 100 percent. yeah you you absorb it based on like your experience but then also being mindful of how it's hard for others. Yeah. How, how could that not affect you as like a caring individual? I think that's, it, it, it does, it gets really hard sometimes. So how did you become an ally? Uh, it's interesting. And how did you become middle-aged? How did I become middle-aged? That one's easy to answer. <laughs> I stayed alive. So I just naturally. We're, we're very happy about well that. <laughs> Thank, yes, I am. That actually is something to. I am too. Yeah. That's nice. Really? You, to, get old, to get older is a privilege that not everybody has. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I say to myself when I start looking in the mirror and I'm like, oh, things are changing. I'm like, this is a privilege. This <laughs> is a privilege that not everyone gets. So I'm Love grateful it. for that. But the way I became... Remember that, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> when well, I turn continues it. to gray. <laughs> it's almost done. It doesn't have much, much left. Salt anyway. and pepper. Yeah. It's a little more salt than pepper these Any, days. Anyway, I'm Anderson Cooperine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, how I became an ally is... About five or six years ago, I kind of felt 
and 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 I'll preface this by saying like I'm not someone who's gone throughout my life where I'm like I feel like God is telling me to do this or I feel like the spirit is nudging me. I've always wondered that like wow, people actually just have these experiences where it's like God tells them to turn left when they were planning to turn right and that's not me at all. But I started feeling these nudges of you don't know anything about the LGBTQ community. Maybe you should like start looking around and seeing like what's going on. And the Encircle House had just opened up here in Provo. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I decided I'm going to volunteer there. That would be a great way to start to educate myself and feed this curiosity that I have. And so I started volunteering there, hearing the stories, uh, you know, of the kids that would participate. It was just, it was just, it was so wonderful and such an education and such a spirit filled uh, place to be. And then about a year and a half later, my daughter came out oh, as wow. gay. And so I was like, aha, thank you, God, for gently nudging me. Cause most of my life, I feel like God must not be nudging me because he trusts me. And that's, you know, just kind of how my life has gone. And, and so to feel, have felt this nudging, I was really grateful because I think I would have said some not so helpful things. Yeah. to my daughter. It sounds like having your daughter come out to you helped you see God's hand in your life. Yeah. That's cool. It was really cool. It was really this kind of like moment for me where I was like, oh, God does talk to me. Maybe just differently than how some other people. Yeah, that's really beautiful. God. I'm glad you shared that. I'm curious, what was the demographic of other people volunteering at Encircle back then? Uh... Middle-aged moms. I knew it. Uh, no. <laughs> I knew it. You know, it's funny. We were we were talking about this question, and people ask this all the time. Uh-huh. The moms ask it. The kids ask it. Really? Yeah. They're like, how come the only people who care are like middle-aged moms? So let's chat about it. I have a few theories. <laughs> I totally want to hear the theories. Let's start with your theory, Charlie. Well, maybe we should. Like, I feel like we need to prove this. Like, we yeah. want evidence-based practices right uh-huh um so in preparation for tonight i looked at the demographics of my instagram followers uh-huh and yes 87 percent middle-aged moms 87 percent so whatever i'm at i don't like whatever like 155 times 87 percent is that's how many that's a lot like mm-hmm. that's like over a hundred thousand middle-aged moms and they're the ones who care and the rest are like... Or they usually like you and your dances. Maybe so. <laughs> it doesn't... <laughs> What's that? 134,000. So there's at least 134,000 middle-aged mom allies. Yes. In America. They might not be allies. They might be just be haters who want to see what you're up to. Uh, those usually don't follow. They just search. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then the rest, I presume, like all the guys are like either like husbands or mostly gay men. Um, anyway, I just, I've, I've always thought it was really fascinating that like the people who gravitate towards education around like faith and sexuality are the moms. Um, any, any experiences you've had been with a plethora of middle-aged moms? Well, I've, I've had a lot of people plan firesides for me mm. and I would say 90% of them were middle-aged moms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not always, but I would say for the most part, they're the ones who've gotten me to come speak in their stakes. Yeah. And they're also wonderful. Mm-hmm. Really, when I was um, just first coming out, I was out to very few people, and I didn't have family here yet. It was really my junior year at BYU, um, 
I met one middle-aged mom who kind of like took me under her wing and started inviting me over for like Sunday dinners. Um, and then it just turned into this whole network. And for a while, like my lifeline, like physical lifeline, people who were like actually mm, with me yeah. was like these moms and their families who were just like, Hey, if you're having a hard day, come over. And I would, and it was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I was always really impressed. And usually in, in my experience, this isn't always true. Like nothing against the dads. We love dads. We love the guys, but in most cases that I've seen, it's the mom who has a change of heart first and then the husband follows. I agree. So, mm-hmm. and it's not always that way. It's not always yeah. that way, but yeah. And also I think, I think there's something special. Yeah. And when, when it comes to social media, I also think we should point out that I think women are more likely to be on social media. That is true. And so it doesn't mean that the dads care less. They just, are... they just follow the NFL instead of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just that's some, you know, things I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, Ben? Why do you think it is? Um, I So I've got a couple of theories as well. I do too. I wonder <laughs> if they're the same. Um, I think that that moms often have uh, a special relationship with their kids. They might, they might like talk to their kids about deeper, harder things, like talk about emotions more. It's not always the case, but but I think that's the case for, for many families where, where the moms really like dig into the kids' feelings and, and have the, this tighter relationship. Once again, not always the case. Um, so they might be more aware of what's going on. Um, I also think that, uh, if they come from a certain socioeconomic status, they might have more, more time outside of like, like, uh, I'm sorry. Not that moms aren't busy. Wow. I, I, need to say so, so I just said no. being a stay at home mom is no. not a full-time job. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what you meant. Yeah. I'm saying as, as, as children grow and if you've, if you've, if you've worked, if, if you're, you're saying socially, they're. Typically, the primary caretakers in an LDS household. Yes, yes. and and therefore they they then have a more time. I don't. I have to. <laughs> ah, no, I'm, uh, they have a lot to do. I just going to dig myself farther into a hole. Uh, their time is more flexible, but still busy because they're not working eight to five. <laughs> Thoughts on that? Uh, I think as a strong, independent woman, how do you feel about what you just no, said? No, you know what they're. they're it's a stereotype for a reason because it's kind of true. Like a lot of middle-aged moms who are allies are a little bit more financially privileged because they aren't working three jobs on the side mm-hmm. and taking care of their children. So they have the time to go volunteer at InCircle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do think there is some, definitely some truth to that. I, I also think um, being you know, I follow the traditional LDS path where I stayed at home and my husband is the one that uh, worked, you know, the full-time job. So I just had more proximity to the children. I was there a lot more. I was having those conversations, like you say, about emotions and, and this and that. And so there's something, I've talked about this because I'm curious too, which is why I submitted the question, why are so many of the moms the, the allies? So I've talked to a lot of my girlfriends about this and I call it like this time machine mm-hmm. effect kind of where when your kiddo comes out as a mom, you kind of go back kind of like a, this is your life kind of a moment where you replay all these tender, beautiful moments that you've had with your baby uh, where you see their absolute goodness and wholeness Um I don't use the word perfection, so I use whole instead of perfect, right? Because anyway, I just think, 
I could see that in my daughter and my friends see that in their own kiddos when they come out. And so you kind of start going, wait a minute, a lot of the things maybe that I heard growing up LDS, they're not panning out here. Like this isn't a choice, you know, in some of the other stereotypes that at least I grew up hearing. I'm like, oh, this isn't true. And so that just kind of started to make me see things through new eyes, kind of like what we were talking about. Like when you become a podcaster and you start hearing all the heavy stories of people, it weighs on you. And so I, it started weighing on me and I started seeing like sitting in church, the comments that maybe were somewhat homophobic before sounded horribly homophobic now because I'm like, you're talking about my baby. How dare you? And so it just kind of starts riling me it started to rile me up a little bit where I was like something has to be done and as someone who's an extrovert it was a lot easier for me I know uh, and I'm only speaking for myself but for so many people that are maybe introverted or shy or quiet or maybe brand new in their ward like they don't want to rock the boat whereas I'm like I've been in my neighborhood 25 years you know I don't mind pushing the envelope and you know calling people out on saying that's not true uh, and so for me at least it things just started landing in a different way and it just became essential that if I'm going to be in the pews with my fellow Latter-day Saints, I had to show up as myself. And that meant now being an LGBTQ family meant that I needed to show up and uh, support Mm. the kind of family that we are. Because I think sometimes we think it's like a us-them And it's like, no, 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 no. LGBTQ people and their families are in the pews. And I don't think sometimes a lot of people actually realize that until someone like me is willing to raise their hand and go, actually. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the comment you made about like being an extrovert and like kind of giving a nod to different personalities. And I just wanted to highlight that there is not a one size fits all to be an empathetic ally. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know. I, I, I love that you made that point because the way that you feel like you need to do it is probably the way you should. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like yeah. you don't have to do what somebody else is doing in order to be a valid ally. And allyship can look like a lot of different things. It yeah. does. Yeah. And my husband is the introverted side of our relationship. And so it's interesting. I just had a conversation with him like a week ago. We were going to church and uh, I teach you Sunday school. So I always have like an I'll walk with you rainbow pin on my bag. Or, uh, I mean, sometimes I'll pin it on, but I don't always want to like put a hole in my nice church sweater or something. And so it's always on my bag. And so I, I have said to my husband off and on, I don't know, maybe every six months I'll be like, Paul, do you want to wear a rainbow pin to church today? And his answer was just always no. And I thought, okay, he's not ready. That's okay. So finally a week and a half ago, I said, Hey hon, I'm just like wondering, you usually turn me down and that's fine. I I just really want to understand like, how would that make you feel to wear a rainbow pin? And he said, well, I just don't wear jewelry like at all. And I was like, oh my gosh, this whole time I'm thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, he's nervous and he doesn't want people to think this, that, or the other about him when really he sees it as jewelry, you know? And so he, that's maybe not for him. And yet he is a professional. He's a partner in his accounting firm. And like two years ago, he changed his email signature to say he, him. That's huge to me. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this could like affect your career. You could lose clients over this. And so I'm the extrovert who will like raise my hand in church and say all kinds of things. And he's more the quiet person who'll be like, I'll change my email signature. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And those are both totally valid. Totally and yet, valid. And yet you would be more noticed yes. with your work than, than he would. Yeah. Before your daughter came out, was it... You might have to dig to, to answer this a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious, did it feel easier to accept gay men than lesbian women? Ooh. Yes, I think you're right. Why? Uh, I think there are just more gay men who are visible in the church, such mm-hmm. as yourselves, right? I don't, I, it's changing now. Uh, but for a long time, I felt like there weren't any voices for women. And so it maybe wasn't so much that I thought so much, like I can accept men over women. It was just proximity. Like I only heard the stories of gay men. I know for me, when I was planning on who to come out to, I started with women because I felt like they would be able to understand the experience of being attracted to a man. Whereas a man would be disgusted at being attracted to a man. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And and there's also the fear that if you tell a man... Then they'll think that they're attracted to you. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've also... I mean, obviously the answer to this is going to be like a ton of variables that we're not really sure, but, (laughs) you know... Sure. Like for the actual reason that it seems like middle-aged moms seem to be the most vocal vocal allies. But um, additionally, um, we've done... Like we've done an episode called Where Are All the Lesbians? Like Mm -hmm. how come like gay men are out more at church it seems and lesbian women aren't and almost every gay man i've talked to has come out to their mom first mm-hmm. so and i think maybe i don't know i'm curious if some of that is just like that social and re- relational idea of oh maybe my mom will understand this better than my dad because my dad will be like more disgusted and the mom will be like oh i know what it feels like to, i don't know or maybe it's like more uncomfortable yeah yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about my own family. Like, I came out to my parents at the same time. And my mom didn't really have a big opportunity to be an ally because I didn't, I, like, I wasn't, like, I came out publicly just shortly before she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and her Alzheimer's was already setting in by then. Uh, but my dad has been an enormous ally. Yeah. And, uh, like, maybe four or five years ago at Christmas, like I, I drew his name to get him, like to buy him the Christmas present because we draw names. And, uh, and I said, what do you want for Christmas? He said, I want a rainbow tie. <laughs> and he wears his rainbow tie to church. Really? His jewel-toned it, rainbow tie. It is a lot. Yeah. Buzz, if you're listening. Yeah. And then the, and then the, the rainbow socks are on the cover of my book. I didn't own them. My dad already had them. And I just bought a pair for myself. So he already wore rainbow socks. Um, and then my dad um, goes to uh, Institute, like the YSA Institute, and you know they well, every once in a while introduce himself. He's like, "Hi, my name is Buzz Shalati. I'm I'm an ally." You know, he just like introduced himself that way. And so, mm. um, so I, I think there are a lot of dads doing a lot of things. Uh, it just might be that we don't quite mm-hmm. see them as much. Yeah. So within this, it sounds like you're saying that like allyship comes through proximity, mm-hmm. and so you feel pretty like. Your main theory would be that women are tend to be more proximate to children, and so that's where the allyship comes from. Definitely, we didn't end up going, but this was like seven years ago. We were going to go to the Pride Parade in Seattle when I was there, and my dad was going to bed. And I heard him say to my mom, "I can't believe we're going to a Pride Parade. Mm-hmm. Who would have ever thought when we got married we'd be going to a Pride Parade with our gay son?" <laughs> I mean, I'm not going because of parking. I just like, eh, it's a hassle. <laughs> um, but uh, but they were going to go, and they were like, if I wanted to go, they were going to go with me. But yeah, I I, th- I think that really is it. I, th- I think it's the proximity, and then. And um, I think we often view allyship as people posting on social media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's the most visible thing. I think women just tend to be on social media more. Hmm. Yeah. But I do think proximity 
is like a huge part of it. Like think about, uh, you know, growing up, like how often maybe one of your scout leaders was a mom as opposed to a dad. Or like, I just think about all the involvement I've had in church with primary. other people's children. Yeah. Through mm-hmm. primary, through activity days, through, I mean, Even I haven't like had birthday s- parties and stuff. Absolutely. Like- and so, so it's not only just when your kiddo comes out, you're going to be like this, like out and proud uh, ally. It's like when your neighbor next door, when their kiddo comes out, because it's like, oh my gosh, she was in my activity days group. Mm-hmm. You know, I was young women's president about 15 years ago in my ward, and four of my young women ended up coming out, uh, not immediately, but, you know, by the time, I mean, they're all in their early 30s now. And so I'm just sitting there going, oh my goodness, like I had these amazing relationships and went to girls' camp with, you know, queer young women and I didn't even know it. And so then I'm just like, and again, like these women are whole and beautiful and lovely and I want to support them. So it really is proximity. I think that's such a huge component. Yeah. I had a really interesting experience a few weeks ago. I had to go talk to a professional. I don't want to say what, cause people might figure out where, um, was and, it a doctor? <laughs> no, it wasn't not a doctor. Uh, but I was concerned <laughs> that the person I was going to talk to just based on his profession, uh, wouldn't be welcoming to gay people. It was a lawyer. <laughs> so, so I took off my, my An rainbow watch. Teacher? <laughs> no, I took off my rainbow watch and I like, anyway, it doesn't matter. People are <laughs> uh, um, and so, uh, I had to like wait for like an hour. So I'm like talking to this guy for like an hour and he's telling me about how the earth is flat and all these conspiracy theories. And wow. I'm like, okay. And then, then he asked me what I do. And I was like, oh, I'm starting to work as a therapist. And he's like, oh, well, what kind of therapy do you do? I was like, well, I work primarily with LGBTQ clients. We already like, I'd already like paid the money. So I didn't need him to like trust me anymore. Uh, <laughs> so I like say I was gay. <laughs> this really isn't the important part of the story. And he was like, one of my, he's like, I can't remember who, but it was like his, his brother-in-law was gay and he had three gay mission companions and he like knew all these gay people that he loved. And, and he's, and he just like opened up his heart and like shared how much he loves gay people and how he wished the world was kinder. So this person who I thought would be less kind to, to me because I judged him based on his profession ended up being this huge ally because he knew so many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think it really is this, uh, you know, who, who do we know? Who have we talked to? Whose story have we heard? I completely agree with this. And coming into this, I was thinking about it tonight. And my, like, primary theory was not that. What was your primary theory? Yeah. Uh, my primary theory was that um, based on, like, social and structural, like, components of life, women in the church understand what it feels like to be marginalized or not have like certain opportunities based on something they can't control. And they also have like these huge questions like polygamy and temple ceilings and like kind of these eternal unknowns as well. Whereas men typically don't have that. Yeah. Um, And then moving structurally to like, even just like leadership callings and a voice at the table and like, yeah, difference, like opinions, not feeling valued or heard. I think like my theory was that women are sensitive to that and can like understand yeah. that in their systems. Totally agree. And therefore when someone else brings that up, they say, Oh, like there's more context for, mm. Oh, I, maybe I believe this. Whereas some of the straight men I've talked to have been like, Oh no, that, that doesn't happen. Right. Like, that's not an issue. I've never felt that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> go figure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I, I, in fact, I was uh, uh, thinking like, 
early in our conversation when I was talking about like when we started our podcast and things we were nervous to say, like at first we didn't want to say the word patriarchy because we were like some people could be really turned off by that. But I mean, it's the truth. Like if you're in a patriarchal organization like our church is, then the privileged people who are the leaders don't have to think about certain things. And so maybe don't have as much context to understand what it's like. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Context. And so I, I absolutely agree with you that with women already being um, marginalized uh, within the church, I think it's that much easier to also understand other marginalized groups. Yeah, definitely. Actually, so about a year ago, I was having a conversation um, with a woman, a middle-aged woman, and she like kind of couldn't get it. And I was explaining to her, she's like, why don't you just marry a woman? And I was like, I just, I don't know how to explain it to you. Like, and she's like, you'll never be exalted. And I was like, I don't know how to explain it to you. And she was thinking, and she was like, actually, I don't think I could do polygamy. And oh. back in the day, I wouldn't have been exalted if I didn't do polygamy, according to like right. the the prophet's teachings. And she was like, I understand and, and it was re- like, she came to that conclusion on her own. I never would have thought about it, you know, wow. but she just said, I would never judge myself for feeling like I couldn't do polygamy and I will never judge a gay man ever again for not being able to marry a woman. Bravo. And I was like, wow. That's some real perspective taking and compassion. That's, yeah. That's really amazing. And this really was all amazing. in one conversation, like, like yeah. in one 20 minute setting or whatever. Yeah. That's she amazing. was just thinking about it. Good job. And... So I, I guess that's kind of like, I guess, proof for my theory. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a right answer, but I just, I, I think it's really cool. I was also thinking kind of like within the organizational structure of the church, women don't have as much chain of command, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, there's, oh, there's, there's, a <laughs> there's like a hierarchy there. So I feel like naturally women do more like, grassroots uh-huh. things and like gatherings and relief society is a very grassroots organization. It seems it's like, there's someone in need. What are we going to do? Let's like, wh- when I was growing up, it was like, let's get quilts and do a drive. And it's not so structural. It's not so like policy driven. Mm. It's more like creative driven and emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if that allows, cause that's kind of how how allyship is because there's not like a right way to do it. There's not like a rule book for how to be an ally that perhaps LDS women are more, um, you know, prone to just, Mm -hmm. just better at doing that. See a need and fulfill it. Exactly. And and Cynthia, as as you were talking about, you know, you're like, I've been in my ward for 20 something years and I can, I have the street cred. I can say what I need to now. Like people know me. Um, So I talked to some people about this question, some guys. And one of the things one of them said was, well, I'm worried if I, if I say, if I, if I'm too vocally an ally, then I won't get such and such a calling. Yep. And there's this fear that 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 that, voc- that vocal allyship could lead to fewer opportunities, mm-hmm. and uh, that was something I, I hadn't considered. I've, I even talked to a friend who who said that he felt like he had been released from his calling because of something he had said. And I have a friend who also said he said I was told that I was released from my teaching calling because yes. of this thing that I said. Do so you yeah. think women get away with more? I do. I do too, actually, mm-hmm. in a weird way. Like there's less power, but they don't have as much rigidity around it Mm -hmm. seems what do you think i'm not a Uh, woman so i think 
I think that's true. I think women are less concerned about like the leadership callings just because there are less leadership callings for women. So it's not always on our radar. I don't know what it's like to be a man to obviously be like, Oh, I could never be elders quorum president. If I said this or a Bishop or, you know, we don't want to do it anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, that's another podcast, right? Who would want to do those things? But, um, but I know that there is also just as real of a cost for women. Like I have heard many women who are, released from callings by being allies. And so I, I don't, I, I mean, it, it's there for both. Yeah. Uh, it's there for men and women in the church. And, and I, ha- I have to respect that. Like people maybe aren't, they want to keep their influence um, in certain callings and they don't want to be released. And so they're more careful. And, and I respect that that's where they are at that moment. And maybe that'll change. Maybe it won't. Mm-hmm. I feel like, we're try, trying to find the recipe to become a good ally. <laughs> like sugar, spice, and everything nice. Yeah, exactly. Like proximity, empathy, and experienced depression. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Uh, can I tell a dad story? Yeah. Um, so uh, I've been doing therapy for a bit now, and I have a client who's a dad, and I'm not going to tell anything about his story. Um, but I don't get emotional in my sessions. Like I rarely, like if a client is crying, I, I don't usually cry. Uh, but this dad in multiple of our sessions, like talking about his LGBTQ kiddos, um, like I've gotten emotional with him because I can just feel how much he loves his kids. And, and uh, I just like for some, maybe like connects me with like my dad and how much like he loves me and supports me. Um, but there's like real power in the love of like, like dads and moms and, and parents of all kinds uh, for their kids. And that's something that, that I have felt acutely. Yeah. I wonder and and again, just like nodding to blind spots, it's very likely that I view women. When I think about middle-aged moms and like allies and parent allies, I don't think about my parents, weirdly. I hmm. think about, but I guess that's just the space I live. Like my mom lives really far away mm-hmm. yeah. and my dad's not a member of the church. Yeah. And so like contextually, like I, like I haven't seen him in a sacrament meeting for like decades, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't, like he is a very strong ally. He's very supportive of me. But within a church, like, questions from the closet context, I'm not thinking about my dad. Yeah. Um, and when I think about, like, the mom allies, it's like, my mom is an incredible ally and has done so many good things, but she lives far away. And so I guess I'm just, I'm just noticing that, like, during this conversation, I'm thinking about, like, the women I meet at, the events we go to, and the people who help with the podcast and things like that. Yeah. Um, I met a mom just this morning at the gym. Sometimes I get stopped at the gym by moms. They're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she was telling me about her kiddo who came out a few years ago and all the work she is doing. And I made sure to like say thank you. Like, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, because your teen can't do that yet. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you need to do those things. And so I, I try and thank allies for the work that they do because they make things happen. there. And there is someone who will not listen to a gay man like me, but will listen to a middle-aged mom. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. Like I, I, I have a, a good friend. She's been on your podcast. I won't say her name in case she doesn't want me to, but, um, she is a gay woman, but she says like, I choose not to wear pants to church, even though that's what she would maybe be more comfortable in just because she's already a gay woman. And so there's already like one thing, I don't want to say a strike against her, but do you know what I mean? One way she's different. Let's put it that way. Whereas like I started wearing pants to church about four years ago and I can get away with that because 
I'm a privileged, like, straight woman. And so nobody, I mean, maybe some people do look at me and think, oh, I wonder if she's a gay woman. Do you know what I mean? And so I feel like that also has played a role, at least in my allyship, is using my privilege. Like I said, I've been in my state for 25 years. Like, when you show up and, uh, you know, you cook bacon for girls at girls camp, you can get away with saying a little bit more because it's like she shows up, she does the hard work. Um, And so that allows me to, like, push the envelope in other ways, like wearing pants to church and, you know, wearing a rainbow pin or just ways where... I spent 25 years building capital and now I'm willing to spend a little bit yeah. to help people. As, as you were thinking, talking about that, I was thinking of my dad, my parents, well, my, my dad, he still attends the ward, like the ward building he was baptized in. No. In 1972. That's a lot of capital he's yeah. built. <laughs> like he spent his entire church life in this wow. one stake. And yeah, and I think when, when you have that kind of, like that kind of uh, relationship with the people around you, you can do things and say things. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can say things that maybe I wouldn't say if I were brand new in a ward. Um, you know, just different. I mean, and those are just a couple of ways that I can think of where I've tried to use my my privilege for mm-hmm. for other people. Yeah. It kind of makes me sad to like talk about leveraging capital based on things that have nothing to do with the gospel of Christ. Yes. Like wearing pants is yeah. is one hundred percent cultural. Like it has nothing to do with nothing. your faith. But it's uh, I don't know, that's just But anything that gets people to maybe think about old things in new ways right is a good thing yeah no i agree it's just i i just all the time when i have these conversations i'm like what you just said like reading the scriptures looking to like christ for answers if there was more of that then allyship would just bloom because allyship to me is being christ-like it's reaching out it's lifting up the hands that hang down it's putting it's inconveniencing yourself for the betterment of somebody else. It's taking on other people's pain. Yeah. Like that's who Christ is. And I don't Maybe know. Maybe we'll get there. I hope so. Yeah. It's interesting sometimes, you know, the story that came to my mind was the story of uh, at the last, I think it was the last supper where the woman comes and anoints Christ's mm-hmm. uh, feet and then washes his, her, his feet with her hair. And that's at the last supper. Yeah. Depends on the gospel you read. Okay, yeah. okay, and yeah. some it's the Last Supper, and some it's like a couple weeks before. Or something. Okay, so great. Close Th- enough. Th- thank you for knowing the scripture, Cynthia. <laughs> um, and and the apostles are like, "What are you doing?" And Jesus says, "Well, she's preparing me for my burial, like annoying me for my burial." Right. And they they had like missed that that was going to happen, but this woman picked mm-hmm. up on something. Yeah. So like, the apostles missed it, mm-hmm. but this lady was like. I see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm, and then beautiful. Jesus was able to explain based on what she did, what was happening to the whole yeah. group. And uh, yeah, sometimes because of differences in people, we, some people know things others, others don't. Sure. Yeah. Could we each go around and share like an example of faith and allyship from maybe like our own moms and another mom that just comes to mind? My favorite ally is my own mom, actually, because when my daughter came out, my I was talking to my mom and she said she was crying and she said, I'm just so worried I may have ever said anything that could have made her path harder. And so like my mom got on the phone with my daughter and just said and we're Abuelita is what my mom goes by. And so she says, you know, I just want you to know how much your Lita loves you. And if I had ever said anything, I'm telling you right now, I'm sorry. And it was just such this like beautiful moment between uh, 
my daughter and my mom to see like, wow, my mom, kind of like I was saying before about like the time machine, my mom has seen everything about her life from, you know, the moment she came into our home and was just like, I love you and I support you no matter what, always. Yeah, love that. Uh, from from my mom, I, I have lived away from my parents most of my adult life. And so when I came out, like when I came out when I was 23 to my parents, like they were lovely and wonderful. But I didn't get to much opportunity like see my parents interacting with other people. Um, and then after my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, uh, I realized she like forgot that I was gay. And so I decided to, I was like, maybe I'll come out to her a few times just to see what it's like. <laughs> and I was, kind of, I was like nervous. I was like, hey, mom, did you know that I'm gay? And she's like, you're gay. And I said, yeah, what do you think about that? And she said, well, as long as you're happy and you get to do the things you want to do. I was like, I am happy. I do get to do the things I want to do. Thank you, mom. And we had that same conversation four or five times. Like that's I, so special. Yeah. Um, and she's always just loving and kind. So yeah, that's that's. Um, and if my mom had conversations with other people or like advocated for me at church, like I never got to witness that. But I knew that with with me personally, she was like, I just want you to be happy. I trust you. Yeah. My mom didn't flinch. Like she didn't even think there wasn't even like a hesitation when I came out to her. Is really amazing. Um, and actually, um, at my wedding, she told me this later. I didn't know this happened. And it's, I don't, I don't know how she can, she told me this in a way that was like, it was information. It wasn't because she wanted to like be praised. She didn't even think it was a praiseworthy thing that she did. Hmm. But, um, one of those other moms that I referred to earlier that had kind of like invited me over and taken me under wing back when I needed it, um, when I wasn't around any family, was at my wedding and her son had died by suicide a few years ago, probably, I don't know. I don't know how long it's been, but um, they'd never met in person, uh, but my mom recognized her from pictures or Facebook or whatever. And so right before the ceremony started, she walked up to her and said, just like, Hey, thank you for taking care of my son. Um, It meant so much to me. It was hard to be so far from him. And she said, I, I want to like recognize that I'm holding a I want to tell you that I'm holding a place for your son because I know this might be kind of hard to sit through and see my son get something that your son didn't get to because Mm. he didn't make it, you know, he is just tragedy struck, you know? Mm. And I was like, mom, like, how did you think to do that? Mm -hmm. Like with everything that was happening that day and everything that was moving and all the parts and all the chaos, like she saw this woman and just wanted to say, Hey, as, as I'm happy for my son, I, I am mourning your son. Beautiful. And I was just like, wow, that's like, that's mom's right there. That is the power of mothers. Mm-hmm. So I love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. Also, another example today, someone told my husband on <laughs> basically to go die <laughs> in the Instagram comments. <laughs> this lady, <laughs> a middle-aged mom that follows me, saw the comment and she commented and found his mom and tagged her and said, like, at... This kid's mom was like, I just wanted to let you know what your son's been up to online. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> She's like, as a mother of four, I would want to know if my kid was saying anything like this. Wow. <laughs> and like, within 30 seconds, I saw I just happened to be on my phone. I saw it come in. And within 30 seconds, the kid had deleted his comment. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, oh Mom's Unite is, is funny. <laughs> That's a good story. Anyway. Wow. All right. And we're going to a story of a, a mom now? I guess I kind of did both. Okay. But. Well, I've got a story. 
Okay. Um, I in my head, I've been thinking about literally dozens of moms I could talk about, like people here in Utah and Arizona and California, like so many uh, moms who are doing so many great things. But the one what that about in Florida. In Florida, too. Or Vancouver. There are, uh, yes, yes, definitely. Um, but the story that comes to mind is the one that's most recent um, because uh, after my date this week, uh, my friend Tiffany said that it was a middle aged mom. Uh, she told me to call her after uh, I like to tell her about my date. So right after, she was the first person I called. And I told her all about it, and she asked questions, and I was just, like, so honored that I could have someone, when I couldn't talk to my own mom, that I could, like, talk to who I knew would be, like, just want to hear about it and be happy. Like, to me, that's allyship, like, being present with someone. And uh, I'm talking about my dad now, too. Uh, but uh, at the Gather conference, I saw my dad go up to people and say, tell me your story. And then people would talk for a long time oh, yeah. and, and, and tell and tell him their story. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, dad, you're going to hear so much trauma. You have to stop asking people <laughs> like you were not prepared for this, but he kept doing it. And now he just does it all the time. Like, tell me your story. And, and that w- I, I talked to so many people who got to talk to my dad who were just like so grateful. And like, to me, that is allyship, you know, saying like, like, like sitting with someone or, or standing in a hallway with them and saying, tell me your story and then listening. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Who's a good example of a middle-aged mom to you, Cynthia? Uh, my friend Susie Augenstein. You guys probably know a little bit about mm-hmm. Susie. She has what I guess we would say no skin in the game. Like she doesn't have a gay kiddo, but she had a group in her home for years. I think she still does it here and there, you know, where they play games and, and have treats. And, and I just think, wow, that is just so amazing to me to see people that just see a need and they're like, I can do it. I can fill this need and and help other children of God. Mm-hmm. Love that. I feel like I already shared mine with the mom <laughs> in the comments. <laughs> I have a thousand, but I, I had two thoughts. Um, what I, I'm wondering for the person who's listening who like doesn't have a supportive mom. Yeah. And I mean, there's also women in my life who have basically like shut me out mm. because they're like, I don't know why, you know for whatever reasons like what advice would you give to someone who's like listening to this is really painful because their mom or dad like didn't like both then me and you both of our parents accepted us mm-hmm. like quickly yep. and have been in it and have been like good allies for us yeah uh when i moved to tucson i i had been living in washington for a year and so every sunday i went to my parents house for sunday dinner and it was awesome like the whole family was there and when I, when I moved to Tucson, I knew no one in the whole city. And the the prayer I prayed the most, like getting ready to go, was that God would send me a family that mm. I could have a uh, Sunday dinner with. And he did, like my first Sunday. And the, the Minches, they, they became my family, and they still are. And I think when we are away from our family for whatever reason, we can pray that God will send us family. Mm. And in my case, like he answered that prayer that I needed so much, like immediately. And so if someone is feeling like they need the love of a dad or a mom or, or a sibling, I would say pray for that and, and trust that God will give that to you. Advice? Do I have advice? I don't know. That's a hard one. I, I love the idea of, of praying and just explaining to God what you need. I also think uh, look for the helpers. Right. If you see someone with a rainbow pin on their bag at church, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had um, like youth in my neighborhood reach out to me uh, because I fly a pride flag or I have the pin or whatever. 
And so I think look for the look for the people that are safe. We usually try to signal to people that we're a safe person. Um, and trust me, like all of us middle-aged moms, we love it. We love it when the, the kiddos say, you know, can you, can you help me in this? Or can you be my mom? Or, Cause I'm away from home or whatever. Like we just eat it up. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who feels like they can't play this role for whatever reason? Like they can't quote unquote wear pants to church. Like the mom who wants to be an ally. The mom who wants to ally, but feels like she's stuck for any reason. I think there's always something you can do behind the scenes. So whether it's just like Ben was saying, his dad just saying, tell me your story. Like, I just think there are so many different ways that are private, that are one-on-one. And maybe the person will, maybe that's just not their personality that they'll ever, uh, you know, wear the pin or fly the flag or, you know, have a podcast or whatever. But I, I just think there are so many ways for everybody to fill a need at whatever they're comfortable with in that moment. And I, and I do think those one-on-one conversations are probably the most healing actually mm-hmm. to, to have someone hear your story. And I think if someone wants to reach out and help and do something more, like if you pray and ask God, like, how can I serve your children? The opportunities will come up yeah. very quickly. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> then you're going to like push people away from doing that. They're like, oh, I'm busy. I'm not going to say that prayer yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't have to Be careful what you pray for. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's like praying for patience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Getting stuck in traffic. Well, if you're a mom listener. Or a dad listener. But especially, this one's for the moms, then. <laughs> we'll do another one about the dads. Okay. We love you too, Buzz. <laughs> um, we love you. Thanks for being allies. I feel like there's so many people who have like emulated Christ to me through this, through oh, proximity yeah. and empathy and just working to understand. Yeah, definitely. And, and thank you for being on, Cynthia. We appreciate it's you. My pleasure. Your thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving a review, following us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Questions from the Closet, or sharing this podcast with someone you love. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We're not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until Until next time. time.